0: From the capital city of charleston west virginia this is inside west virginia politics with mark curtis inside west virginia politics is brought to you by aarp west virginia your ally for real possibilities in the mountain state
1: It is primary week here in West Virginia. Tuesday, May 10th is the primary day. Of course, early voting is already underway. Let's get some analysis of what might uh, be the fallout from this election. We're joined by Professor Robert Rupp, retired professor from West Virginia Wesleyan College, longtime political scientist. Good to see you again, doctor.
2: Well, it's good to be here. Let me tell you. Last night was act one of an eight-part drama that has to do with American politics, in this case, primary.
1: And, of course, you're talking about the impact of the endorsement of former President Donald Trump. He endorsed J.D. Vance in Ohio. And J.D. Vance won. He had been behind in the polls. Trump, of course, held a town hall meeting electronically with Alex Mooney this week. What's the potential impact of Trump's endorsement of Mooney?
2: Well, after last night, it, uh, you have to realize J.D. Vance was in the middle, if not totally behind that multi-candidate field, and once Trump endorsed him, he ended up winning. So if we're taking a scorecard, Trump has won, and uh, his, his critics are, are zero. But that's why the attention is going to be so important, is does Trump's influence power and future that could be decided or at least influenced by what the voters uh, do in West Virginia
1: Yeah and potentially nationwide uh, Trump could be the factor that might turn the the both the house and the Senate back to Republican control so this is not a small a small, uh, small uh, uh, idea
2: no uh, we're having impl- and the other implication too is if he strings, what he will call a social called victory, so-called victory, is that that will encourage him to run again for for the presidency. So that's why, ironically, some of of uh, strong Republicans are not working to support Trump's um, list
1: this mckinley mooney race has gotten very expensive and very nasty you actually live in the district i don't carol miller is my uh uh, will be my congressperson uh but your your mailbox has been full of flyers i hear
2: yes in a sense what's been happening is is uh your viewers need to understand that we have less than 50 to 60 percent voting in presidential elections and in regular election off your elections are even fewer. And in primaries, you're only getting maybe 20% of the, the Republicans if you're lucky. So if you want and need their vote, what's the worst thing you can do, or, or most, most powerful thing you can do, is you uh, claim your opponent is really a Democrat. And what I've been getting in the mail and there are more than 30 of them. Can you imagine mailing out Yeah, hold them up. So what you do here is you accuse McKinley of voting for Pelosi and Biden. Suddenly the Republican who supported Trump on the majority of the time suddenly becomes a Democratic ally and you associate Mooney with Hillary Clinton, that Democrat. Uh you know, truth is often truth is
1: often the first casualty in politics, isn't it?
2: um, It is. But I asked a political consultant, I said, Why do you send me these flyers? Because I I throw away seven of them, it seems. And he looked at me, Mark, and you know what he said? What do you do with the eight? Flyer, I bet you read it. Well, I don't know if I've been reading these, but I've been shocked at how intensely critical each each of the candidates in this upcoming primary are. Right, There's little effort to talk about any issues or changing. It's just tarring and smearing your opponent.
1: Let's. Who's a fellow
2: Republican? <clears throat>
1: We're down to about 40 seconds. I do have to ask in fairness about the impact of Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat, endorsing Republican David McKinley in this primary. Very unusual. What's the potential
2: impact there? What's the potential is, is who is important in uh, West Virginia politics. It's Donald Trump on the outside coming into influence and Joe Manchin on the inside coming to support McKinley. It's really a battle of the titans, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it really is. All right, we're going to have you back next week uh, because we want to do a post-mortem on the outcome not only of that race but the uh, state Senate legislative races. Robert Rupp, professor, former professor at uh, uh, West Virginia Wesleyan College, as always, thanks for being with us. Take care. (laughs) We'll have more inside West Virginia politics after this break.
0: Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State.
1: We welcome you back to Inside West Virginia Politics. We're going to continue our discussion about the West Virginia primary coming up Tuesday. I am joined now by uh, Tom Sussman of TSG Consulting. He is our resident uh, political analyst here and uh, knows where all the bodies are buried. Former delegate, your mom and dad were in the legislature. You, you know a lot. Uh, first thing, your reaction to this ruling from Judge Bloom this week that Andrea Keesling is disqualified from the ballot because she was not a citizen of West Virginia for five consecutive years.
3: You know, kind of reading the filings, listening to what was said in the media, um, looking at the Constitution, it really doesn't surprise me that the ruling was there. Um, It's a shame that the people who raised this issue didn't do it earlier in the process but waited until early voting started. And it's also a shame that her consultants didn't work with her and vet this. Um, it's just a really bad situation all around. She's a bright star for West Virginia and is quite the leader. And know her family from up in uh, Roan County, and it's just a shame the way this thing's playing out.
1: Yeah, I was very impressed by her. I thought she was an excellent candidate. She's well-spoken. She's good on TV. Uh, you know, she's a mom of three kids. She's a small business owner, I mean, entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, she checks a lot of the boxes. Does this finish her pull She's only 35 no, years old. Can, like can like she it. rebound from this? Oh, and absolutely. when she gets to the five-year mark, because she she's a native West Virginia, she moved out of state, she came back, she's only been back a couple See, years. I
3: think those provisions were designed after the Civil War to keep what they called carpetbaggers coming in and trying to take over southern states and people wanted to protect and make sure that their citizens were there. Really wasn't intended to someone of her nature where she really truly is tied to the state, is invested in the state. It's just a real shame that she got caught in the middle of it.
1: All right, well, keep her name on, on your list. I, would, so I, think, yeah, we're hear, I think we're going to hear from her again going down the road. Let's talk about some of the other competitive primaries. We have two well-known Republicans in Wood County, current Senator Mike Azinger and longtime delegate John Kelly facing off in the primary.
3: Yeah, that's going to be a barn burner, and they're they're really connected to the community. Um, I think Azinger is more of a property rights, conservative individual. John Kelly is probably more pro-gas, pro some of the economic development that comes with natural gas development. They're both really well connected in the community. And I've talked to a couple people up there, and that's a toss-up. No one can tell exactly how that one's going to come. That'll be one one of the few that will come down to election night.
1: Yeah, another one we're watching, and this is on the Democratic side of the aisle. This surprised a lot of people. Owens Brown, the state's first male African-American senator, appointed by governor justice to fill a vacancy. Uh, and uh, he's now being uh, in a primary with uh, former delegate Randy Schwarzmiller, who's served a long time in the legislature. So, again, two big names going at each other and, and for one seat.
3: Now, yeah, this is Owen's first venture. He was involved with WVHA. He's involved with the NAACP. You know, Randy was in the legislature, but he's run a couple times and not been able to, to, to clear the bar, so to speak, to get elected the last couple times. Um, again, this is one Democrats don't have many races. I mean, so, yeah, this would be a fun one to watch.
1: You said there's another issue. Or
3: not issue, but another campaign. Right. Roland Roberts versus Mick Bates. Roland is a one term senator head of the Republican caucus within the state Senate being backed by the caucus. You have Mick Bates, who was a Democrat, moderate Democrat, switched to Republican. That race, you have a lot of the Republican House members in Raleigh County uh, campaigning for Mick Bates. You have the Senate caucus campaigning for Roland Roberts. Uh, Roland definitely is more conservative than Mick. This is a Donnybrook, and it's their no gloves barred fight. Um, and this is a this one will come down to the to the end.
1: Yeah. By the time this uh, program airs, early voting will be over. Right. Um, a- absentee deadline has come and gone. It, we're we're looking at a very low turnout here. Only after the first week, twenty one hundred people voted in Kanawha County, the state's most populous. How how critical is turnout going to be, and how abysmal will it likely be?
3: Well, it's going to be horrible outside of the the Mooney district, the Mooney uh, McKinley district, where there's just no real big statewide races. Um, And so for these candidates, the Republicans have gone to single member house districts. So it's who gets their people out to vote. You know, someone may be a 40% favorite to 60, but if you get 100% of your 40% out and the other person only gets 30% of their 60, guess what? And so like, for example, in the Kayla Young race here, she's against a guy, Devin Casey, Nick Casey's nephew, Devin evidently is knocking on a ton of doors. That could be an interesting race, the, the Andy Shamlin, Diana Graves, a lot of door knocking going on there. That's A lot of radio ads too. A lot too. of radio wow. ads on that one, that's, 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 that's become probably one of the ugliest house races. And then down in Cabell County, Evan Whirl and Jody Biller, if you remember, Evan came out with the Republican Labor Caucus right. and some members of the Republican Party got upset. And, and so he's facing a challenge on that. Uh, and my understanding is there's no real clear winner there yet. Um, but, you know, Evan's working it hard.
1: Yeah. Well, stay with uh, your next star media yeah. station on Tuesday. We're going to have complete Absolutely. election coverage. It's going to be quite a primary. Again, we want to thank uh, political consultant Tom uh, Sussman from TSG Consulting for being with us. And uh, oh. we'll have you back and, and convince the results. Okay. Absolutely. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. More of Inside West Virginia Politics after this break.
0: Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State.
1: And welcome back to Inside West Virginia Politics. We're going to switch gears here and talk to the Attorney General of West Virginia, Republican Patrick Morris. I Good to have you on the program. Absolutely. Your side is resting this week or has rested this week in the opioid trial involving Teva and Allergan. Um, basically, what's your closing argument?
4: Well, we have made the argument and presented evidence that these companies were in part responsible for the creation and the maintenance of the opioid epidemic uh, in terms of misleading marketing practices and failure to perform their duties under the law. They knew a lot of the things were going on and yet took a blind eye to them. We think that we've done a good job in the five weeks now uh, that we've been at this and then we get to close and the other side gets to put on their case as well, but we've had an array of witnesses, including folks from within state government, experts from across the country, uh, Some of the people that used to work at the defendant's companies uh, provided information as well. So we think we've put on a strong case. Obviously, now we move to the next phase of the process.
1: The other side uh, does not talk to the news media. Uh, We only get snapshots of their position sitting in the courtroom. And in some of what they say is, well, it's the doctor's fault for overprescribing. It's the pharmacy's fault for, you know, filling all these orders. And in in many cases, they say it's the, the patient. It's the addict's fault for becoming addicted and abusing what are legal medications.
4: Well, I think you could always look and point fingers at everyone else and certainly there's a lot of blame uh, to go around so I wouldn't say there's not. But right now we're focusing on what did the manufacturers do and We believe that we're showing that there were misleading marketing messages. When you downplay the nature of addiction and you're a manufacturer, that's not acceptable. These were lethal products. They work for some people, but a lot of people got hooked on those drugs and then many of those same individuals then went on fentanyl and heroin and other types of products. And that's what helped really spawn the opioid epidemic. So uh, we think that the evidence is strong. Uh, We take it one step at a time. As I think a lot of people knowing, we've gone after the government when they're wrong. We go after every entity within the pharmaceutical supply channel when they break the law.
1: There was a third defendant in this case, Teva Pharmaceuticals, and they settled out of court in the state for 90, with the so state Jansen, for 90. So yeah, Janssen, Jan- I'm sorry, Janssen, uh, which is a division of Johnson & Johnson, correct? Right, correct. So they settled with the state for $99 million. That's right. Any chance these other two might settle?
4: Well, we're going to see what happens. Um, my door is always open. I'm listening. I think that we have a very strong case, and I'm hopeful that people get the message that we're going to have the will to see this through to the very end. And if they thought otherwise, hey, we're now in week five of the trial and I can wait these guys out. We're gonna make sure that uh, our proof, if they think they can just wait, uh, I don't think it's gonna work out well for them.
1: Let's switch gears to a completely different topic. The leak of the US Supreme Court, uh, apparently a a draft decision or a draft recommendation from Justice Alito that would uh, purportedly Overturn Roe v. Wade. Yeah, what is what is the implication for individual states, including West Virginia? What will happen here if it is overturned?
4: Uh, absolutely. So first, let me say that the leak itself is so outrageous. It's literally an assault on the Supreme Court and one of our most important institutions in our country. And so, I really hope the Supreme Court investigates this, uh, finds the perpetrator, and then punishes the perpetrator. This is really outrageous i mean it really goes after the sanctity of what goes on in the courtroom and that can't be now i think that we don't know yet what the final decision will be and that's part of the challenge this was a draft opinion traditionally the justices share material back and forth so you really don't know what the final opinion say look i'm pro-life i'm a strong advocate in protecting as much life as humanly possible so We're obviously hopeful that we're going to get a good decision that will save many babies' lives. uh, But we just don't know what the final answer is. And I'm going to hold off on any formal opinion until I get the formal decision.
1: Now, this is the Mississippi case, uh, which uh, they imposed a uh, 15-week deadline or limit on when abortions could be performed. Several other states have passed that. Our legislature considered it this year but never had a final vote on it. Um, How does that just one individual state's case, how does that affect a previous ruling of the Supreme Court that was applied to all the states in Roe v. Wade.
4: Yeah, I think that a lot depends upon what happens, right? So Mississippi, that case has gone up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and there's a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade. And there has been, over the last decade or so, a series of laws that have passed where states are uh, becoming even more aggressive to protect life. West Virginia among them as well. And so What a lot of the states are looking at is what's the final result, right? Because once the Supreme Court rules, then that provides additional guidance. To a state like West Virginia, who I think will take up, whether it's a 15-week law or something even more aggressive, depending upon what happens with this case. So this Supreme Court is kind of setting the broader parameters. Uh, look, I believe that Roe was wrongly decided, very flawed uh, decision-making in the courts, and I think a lot of people share that perspective. Uh, but it's also important to allow states to make their decisions and that's what it's about if you take away roe it means that the states get to make a decision it's not decided by the court
1: boy it's been a fascinating week in yeah. the legal world the political world we want to thank patrick morrissey republican thank you absolutely uh, attorney general of west virginia for being with us we'll have you back soon a lot going yeah, on a world. lot going on all right we'll have more of inside west virginia politics after this week
0: Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State.
5: Welcome back. Our next guest is a warrior when it comes to his battle with ALS. Thurman Maynard joins me now uh, from his home in West Hamlin in Lincoln County. Thurman, it's great to talk with you. How are you doing?
0: I'm
6: doing great. How are you doing?
5: I'm wonderful. Thank you. It's always nice to talk to you because even in the short time I've known you, um, you're always very positive. And off camera, we were just having this conversation just about when you're dealing with something like ALS. Um, being positive is the one thing you have control over, um, but it can't be easy. Talk a little bit about that.
6: Yeah, being positive with this disease, it uh, takes me to a whole nother level. Um, you know, it brings, uh, I never dwell on the, negative side of this disease because there's always positive um i've got to travel the world got to see uh numerous amount of awesome people uh through this journey that i'd have never probably ever met if it wasn't for this disease and gave me a lot of opportunity to uh, do a lot of bass fishing, that's for sure.
5: <laughs> bass fishing is something we're going to talk about here in just a minute. And I know a lot of ears probably perked up on a political show. Like, go tell your friends that they're talking about bass fishing on <laughs> uh, inside West Virginia politics. But I want to talk to you. You had a chance, um, and I don't remember, forgive me, if it was late last year or early this year, um, to go to the White House, um, go to Washington, D.C. Tell everybody about what you did there.
6: Yeah, we'd, um, there was nothing really for ALS so the als community we got together and a als community and we all joined together and we've done numerous amount of zoom calls talking to senders all across the united states and we formed a um a law it's the act for als bill president joe biden he signed it into law december the 23rd of uh, last year
5: and that was your birthday so, right
6: well, it it got past the Senate on December the sixteenth, my birthday. Okay, it passed I gotcha. the Senate floor, and then Joe Biden. Before they took off on Christmas break, they ended up uh, signing it into law. What does it December do? The... What it does is uh, it opens up access for, for small biopharmaceutical companies and people like myself. I'm three years, or I'm going on four years, being diagnosed. Uh-huh. Well, with With the laws with the FDA, after three years of being diagnosed with ALS, they kind of exclude you from trials. You can't get into them. You can't have – there's really no hope. Yeah. Well, with the Act for ALS bill, if the small um, uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies, if they want to offer expanded access program, the Act for ALS helps the company pay for your way to – have treatment they can still the fda they can still use your data Uh, plus it lets more people have access to drugs trying to get more drugs in als bodies versus what what it is today
5: i don't want to dwell on that i hate that you've lost anything but i'm so glad that you have your voice because you continue to be an advocate um, for people who are in your shoes and it's so important that we get the word out because those of us that, that can take those things for granted we really shouldn't after listening to you. I know you're going to continue to spread the awareness. We're going to get to that bass fishing part. Tell everybody um, about that, where they can join you and learn a little bit more and have some fun. Yeah.
6: May 14th, I'll be going down to uh, Douglas Lake performing in a bass fishing tournament down there. It's uh, brought to you by uh, Morristown Marine okay. uh, Team Team Trail Tournament. And it's a buddy tournament. I've been fishing them with a buddy of mine, Russ Simpson. Uh, He's a local man from up in Ripley, West Virginia. We're going to be traveling down and uh, fishing this tournament. And Andy, uh, the tournament director, he's a real good guy. I spoke with him earlier, and um, he's going to let me do a speech down there. And there's roughly going to be a little over 500 people down there to watch the weigh-ins and uh, plus help, you know, perform the tournament. But hopefully we just bring a bag of fish in and get the way in.
5: <laughs> I see your Facebook picture with a fish right there, and I'm not going to lie. I don't know if it's a bass or not, but I think, you know, <laughs> taking, think of, taking things for granted, it wouldn't be safe for you to go and fish by yourself. So this Buddy Tournament gives you that opportunity, and you're going to be with people who enjoy the same sport, who can learn a little bit about it, and I know that they'll really appreciate it. Um, your positivity is contagious, and thank you for what you do to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, and I'm going to have you back so we can share. Share more of your journey and get your message out because um, it's important. So thank you, Thurman Maynard. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Gus. And that'll do it for this week's edition of Inside West Virginia Politics. Don't forget, we are a podcast. Download us from your favorite podcast vendor. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inside West Virginia Politics. You can hear more from state, local and federal lawmakers each and every Sunday morning on WOWK-TV in Charleston, WBOY-TV in Clarksburg, WDVM in the Eastern Panhandle, WTRF in Wheeling and WVNS in Beckley. You can also find a new episode of the Inside West Virginia Politics podcast right here on this feed every Monday morning. If you like the show, make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts.
0: Inside West Virginia Politics is a Nexstar Media Group production hosted and managed by Mark Curtis. Inside West Virginia Politics is recorded and edited inside the studios of WOWK-TV in Charleston, West Virginia. All rights reserved.